Erie. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the maiden voyage of Flagship City Sports Talk, brought to you by Quickfill. My name is Nick Garman, and I am thrilled to be your host. We're here to discuss the games, the glory, and the occasionally bewildering world of sports, all while keeping things lighthearted because, well, let's face it, sports are like life's way of reminding us that gravity is undefeated. We're not just diving into the game stats, though. We are going to explore the psyche of a sports fan, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, which may or may not involve shedding a tear over some spilled nachos. Whether you're a sports fanatic, armchair quarterback, or you think a touchdown is what happens when you finally finish that pint of ice cream, this is your safe space. We've got a team of journalists, storytellers, and analysts who are ready to dissect the plays, analyze the stats, and help us on our quest for the best game time snacks. Let's be honest, that's all that matters. Our goal, though, is we want to keep it local. We want to dive deep into all things sports right here in our own backyard. From the electric stands of high school rivalries to the nail-biting action of college matchups and the thrilling triumphs of our local minor league and pro teams, we want to cover it all. Now listen, as a Pittsburgh native, my only promise is that I'll try not to pick on Cleveland too much. Now, I can't do this alone. Let me introduce you to the audio maestro, our broadcast wizard and agent of the Time Variance Authority, Rich Smith. Rich, how you doing, buddy? Not too bad, Nick. What's going on? Oh, I can't complain. I still can't figure out why they let us do this on the air, but uh, I'm very excited. You know, somebody must have fallen asleep at the switch. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, with you running the switch, we'll keep that on as, as long as we can. Now, Rich, you've been doing sports here for a while, right? Yeah, I was the producer for high school football for 18 years. They took a year off and uh, they said, you want to do this? And I said, sure, why not? Good. Awesome. And because I am the outsider in the room, right? Coming from Pittsburgh, grew up in the Whippeals, uh, you know, know a lot of the area and I've been here about 10 years and I, I love Erie. It's home to me. And we'll talk about that in a second, but it doesn't mean I won't make a mistake. So I'm going to need you to help keep us on track. I'm happy to help. Good. And hey, if you're tuning in because you think flagship means we're discussing the finer points of sailing, well, don't worry. We'll have you hooked faster than you can say full steam of head. Like I said, my family and I, we moved here about 10 years ago, and I love Erie. One of the reasons we wanted to start this show is to give the voice back to the sports that make Erie County so special. So buckle up, listeners. Flagship City Sports Talk is setting sail, and we're bringing you the highs, the lows, and stories that make the shores of Gem City shine. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into the North Shore Rewind. Brought to you by Duska's Funeral Home, the North Shore Rewind is where we'll recap the stories from the week before and relive all those exciting moments that make Erie County sports so special. From the gridiron to the diamond, from the court to the rink, we're about to review the local sports that have us cheering, gasping, and just jumping for joy. Now, before you get tired of hearing my voice for the whole hour, let me introduce two sports aficionados from the area. First, I am blessed to bring in John Leidick, sports director for Erie News Now, and Bob Shreve, assistant director of athletics media relations at Gannon University. Guys, how we doing? Doing well, doing well. Great. Good to be down here and talking with you guys. Yeah, pleased to be here. Yeah, listen, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take advantage of having you both in studio. We had two pl segments planned, but uh, I love you know sports guys that are early. So we're gonna just milk every minute that we can get out of you guys. So 
The idea for this show, again, like we were kind of talking off mic, is I want to amplify the stories that are happening in the area. We want to bring Sports Talk Radio back to Erie and to Erie County. So I love starting with this first segment, that North Shore Rewind. And I don't care where you live along the I-79 corridor, right? High school football is still one of the most exciting sporting events that you can attend, right? Erie County is no different. District 10 has some of the most intense rivalries and competitive teams in the state. Last week, we had 22 games played across the region. So I'm just going to throw it up and see where we go. Uh, Can you, John, I'm going to kind of point the first direction at you. Can you give us an overview of the standout games from last week or what are some matchups that maybe that stood out to you? Well, I think we'll start with the first one. It was out at uh, Fairview. Uh, Mercier's Prep Fairview has always been a historic rivalry, to, regardless of what sport we're talking about. But in, in football, last year it was uh, Fairview having the upper hand at Mercyhurst. Mercyhurst returns the favor on the road, and I think uh, you know Jeff Root's club up there at Mercyhurst Prep has done a great job uh, getting ready. They have a lot of athletes. That, that's the big <laughs> takeaway I had. I was there for the first quarter of that game, and then uh, my cohort Isaac Petcash finished things off there as our game of the week. Uh, you know, they have a lot of athletes out there. I think another exciting game was out and staying in West County was uh, Gerard Northwestern. Yeah. That game went down to overtime 21-20. <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that on opening week when you get a little extra football. Everybody's right. been waiting for it. Uh, so to get that, those were two games that I think stood out. And then I think the opening week is always interesting for the fact that you get to see some of those Mercer County teams come yeah. up and play some of the teams from up here in the north. You know that's how it's going to match up, and a couple of those classifications come playoff time, so you're right. getting an early test and an early uh, sign of what what you need to maybe improve on and, and where things work uh, yeah. from that perspective. Yeah, and and that Mercyhurst Prep Fairview game was one that I had uh, star that I wanted to talk about too, because from what I understand, it it was dominating line play on both sides of the ball, offensive and defense, right? Um, the the running back from Mercyhurst Prep, I'm going to do this every show. I'm going to butcher last names because I'm really bad at it. I teach, and I always tell my students, if I learn your names by midterms, I'm doing well. So we'll keep that going on the air too, right? Uh, but anyway, J.J. Ganska? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, look at that. Knocking it out of the park on the first on the first try. Uh, you know, he had the 19-yard touchdown and then 203 rushing yards. Like, I mean, high school, there's a lot of rushing, but you don't get that out of some dominant line play, right? Yeah, I mean, Mercier's Prep has done a a great job putting guys on the line and building them up. You know, last year they were a tad younger and they were starting to get that chemistry and experience. I think they they certainly saw the work of the offseason come to fruition in that opening week. And you had a couple of different guys. You had Ganska and then you also had Jason Elman. It was another guy that that saw some action out of the backfield that, that certainly had an impressive opening night. Yeah, no, I love it. And yeah, Gerard Northwestern, like you said, Overtime, right? It doesn't matter if it's a Super Bowl, preseason, everybody loves some bonus ball. So to see them kind of to, to 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 take that win over Northwestern, I mean, Gerard really seems to be kind of turning their team around, right? It's been maybe an okay few years. Yeah, I mean, the big thing with them is how fast some of those younger guys out there are going to progress. I mean, yeah. they, they do have, you know, a young group out there and, and Coach McNally said as much. So I think... You know, to get that confidence under your belt in a week one win like that in a West County rivalry, that's always a good one for them. Yeah, absolutely. Were there any surprising upsets that maybe caught your attention? No, I mean, looking around, I, I don't think there, you know, most of which went 
the way that we expected it. I mean, I guess if we're we're going to go down into Crawford County, um, Sagertown, maybe from my perspective, and there's a lot of people that cover, you know, do a great job covering high school athletics in this area. I think Sagertown over Maplewood. I thought uh, I thought Maplewood would get off to a strong start, struggled a little bit out of the gate, uh, but Sagertown and Coach Wolfgang down there had an impressive, impressive opening week victory. No, that's awesome. John, let's put a pin in this for a second. Let's take a quick break. Stick around. And when we come back, we'll keep unpacking the first week of District 10 football right here on Flagship City Sports Talk, brought to you by Quickfill. And we're back. Hanging out here in the North Shore Rewind. Still hanging out with John Leidick and Bob Shreve here on Flagship City Sports Talk. I want to keep talking about some District 10 football. We had some exciting games happening over the weekend. We talked about a couple games. We talked about uh, uh, some teams that may have been a little surprising. But, John, I want to come back to you for a second. And I want to see if there was maybe a player that had a standout performance on the field this weekend. Well, I think it's always hot, hard not to go down to Oil City when you see a guy in Ethan Knox that's running for six touchdowns and 200 and I believe 18 yards is what the uh, last check of was. I mean, the kid is such a relentless runner, and it he did it with ease. I mean, he was kind of floating across the field. That again, <laughs> you have to give a big thanks to his offensive lineman because sure. I mean, he just he was loading up and just going. Yeah. But when you can score like that, I think that's. That's a player that certainly stood out to me um, from from games that we covered um, across the week. Um, you mentioned uh, Gangska for uh, Mercier's prep was another one. Those are a couple of guys that come to mind when you think of the running back room um, to start things off in week one. Yeah, and and I mean those are like Madden statistics, right? Like yeah. six. I mean, I, six touchdowns is something guys only dream of. Like, what's going through your head? When you have a game like that, well, you know, I think it's it's just fun to watch. I mean, because you know how much these student athletes are putting in. You know, they're, they've got to balance homework, they've got to balance their time work in workouts and on the field. So when you get a chance to see them rewarded for all that, I think that's the great part of it. When you see, I think the exciting thing is too when when a replacement, you know, somebody comes in that's a backup yeah. for part of the season or or in a specific role. And they have a big game, a key interception, uh, you know, a fumble recovery, or they catch that pass, and that's their one reception of the night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those are the exciting times when you see the crowd and the team go nuts. Yeah. Um, but it's also nice when you see some of the stars on opening night shine because, you know, you've been waiting all year um, for a guy like Ethan Knox to get back. Everybody knew he was going to get the ball on Friday night, but he still was able to manage six touchdowns against a Warren team that's uh, under a first-year head coach and in transition. But Ethan Knox uh, showing why he should be one of the top guys uh, that you're watching out for throughout the entire District 10 and then high school football season. Yeah, and I mean, these guys, it always amazed me. Even back, like I'm thinking back of many years ago when I was in high school, you know, seeing these guys just work their butts off all summer you know i'm playing madden i'm playing video games because i'm too lazy to go out for sports but i will watch every sport but the idea that they are going out and they're having fun but then they are putting out performances like that like that's just i don't know it's insane to me to see them work so hard doing stuff like that yeah and especially you know i wouldn't call warren oil city it has history to it uh, right you know looking at uh, venango uh, county has a sports uh social media account that does a great job down there 
They said that was the most lopsided victory uh, <laughs> of the the historic rivalry that it yeah. is there. But you know, you see some of the big rivalry matchups, whether it be you know Cathedral Prep in this area against McDowell, or you see yep. Erie and Cathedral Prep. You know, whatever it may be, those are the ones that make those performances that much better because you see and you know what goes behind that game. Yeah, yeah. Well, you touched on on Prep and McDowell, so I think it's a good time to transition. You know, when I f- when I first came to Erie, when you think of Erie football, a lot of people want to jump to Cathedral Prep, right? Erie High or McDowell. Uh, but they all kind of kind of struggled this week. You know, what do you think's going on there? Well, I think uh, for we'll start with Cathedral Prep. They had the number two team out of Ohio, Archbishop Hoban, who had taken down, um, you know, I believe it was the Kentucky champion the week prior. Um, so they're a quality team, yeah. um, you know, and I think M- Coach Cray and his staff will be the first to tell you. They had their own self-inflicted wounds in that game. Fumbles, you know, turnovers are always going to cost you in that game. Um, You know, they had a couple of injuries throughout the game. And again, it's part of of the sport. They're not going to make excuses on that standpoint. Right, yeah. Um, But they were playing a very talented team that was working efficiently that already had a game under its belt um, so that they played well there. I think when you take a look around, um, you know, Erie High has a bunch of athletes those first few weeks for them. I, you know, it's going to be about can they they put it all together? I think yeah. Coach Henderson's trying to figure out where he can, you know, put his pieces to make sure that they're in the best places possible. And then McDowell, you know, they another talented team in Walsh Jesuit, um, you know, but I think they're they're a team that certainly has some some holes to replace. Um, and they're you know, that's why you have those uh, week one games. You're you're playing non-conference. So that way, once you get into the the uh, regional games and you get down the stretch you shouldn't be playing your best football <laughs> come you know august i guess in, in the high school right. realm you want to be playing your best football come mid-september and on yep. yeah work those kinks out now right i mean and bob i'm going to bring you in here too to kind of to touch on on the mcdowell side of things i mean you play two tough teams off the gate right is that a yeah. tough way to get started on a season Oh, without a doubt it is particularly when you're playing the, the ohio teams that as john said their week one or week zero was a week ago, yeah. and, and they're playing some good competition. So, you know, that's that's difficult. Then when you've got to replace your top running back, your top wide receiver, your starting quarterback, I, I think if you're McDowell, you sit there and you say, hey, wait a minute, we were up 28 to 20 at the half. Yeah. If we can just bottle that, we've, we've got to, you know, you learn from that second half. Yeah. <clears throat> but... You know, you look at what they did in that first half. They did some great things. Yep. So now you got to turn it into four quarters come this next game against Barberton. Yeah, yeah. And, th- I mean, that's what week one's for, right? I mean, that's the whole – you want to figure those things out and, and get going. Um, one more question on, on District 10 football, and I tried to find this this morning, and I couldn't find it. Okay. But has a team ever scored two safeties and lost in the same game before? You know what? There's a guy that certainly does a great job with that, and that would be Tom Reisenweber over at the Erie Times <laughs> News. He is a great uh, historian of District 10 football. Um, I I would imagine there's been a couple of teams that had uh, two safeties. I don't know if they won or lost. From my, <laughs> from my knowledge up of District 10 football, uh, that's hard to do. But, uh, but yes, an interesting t- statistic to take away from the opening week. And it's kind of funny. You get, uh, you know, particularly the, the Eries, the McDowell's, the Preps, they're forced to play some of the Canadian teams. So I asked Tom yesterday, I said, well, what, they have a field goal and a single or something? <laughs> <laughs> you know, a little Canadian football league stuff. You, you don't see four points very often. Yeah, I got I got to be honest, when I saw Tom post on Twitter, he, or X, what, I'm sticking with Twitter, yeah. posted online, right? He, t- he, he, he put Erie by, with, a, with a score of four, and I'm thinking, 
is this the football scores? Like, did I, <laughs> did I, did he, is it a typo? What did, what did I do wrong? I don't know. That, that, that was pretty crazy. All right. Moving away from District 10 football for a second, I want to talk, since I got you both in studio here today, uh, I want to touch on some CWOs. Playing good ball, obviously you got the curve coming to town. You know, what do you got going on with the CWOs right now, John? Well, I think, uh, you know, the big interesting thing coming up this week is uh, Paul Skeens, the number one overall pick in the 2023 draft out of LSU off that, you know, national championship squad. He's coming in. Had a rough double-A debut. Gave up, uh, I believe, four runs over yeah. the weekend. Um, so, so, But again, you have to remember, this is a guy that's pitched a lot this year. I mean, yeah. we're dating back. These guys were ramping up at LSU in you know December, January. So he's pitched a lot. Um, but yeah, adjusting to a new level, uh, that's going to be the interesting part of coming up on uh, Friday is his expected start at UPMC Park to see how he, he plays out. But I think the interesting thing for the Seawolves and Bob, you can attest to this as well. Uh, Lyle Lockhart has been, you know, one of those guys that stepped in. They lost Wilmer Flores middle of the summer. They've had some promotions. Kyder Montero's gone up, but I think Lyle Lockhart has been kind of that stable second option for get manager Gabe Alvarez alongside with Ty Madden. Yeah, and I thought Ty Madden looked very good for four innings, and then he had the one bad inning. But he threw as well. I mean, he he was hitting 99, at least, you know, the, the pitches we were seeing. He was coming in at 99. So, And I think with the Seawolves, it's, it's a little bit difficult. They won that first half. So now what do you do? Obviously, they want to win each game. It's a long season and that whole motivation. Uh, you know, you want to gear up for that mid-September when you're in the playoffs. And it's not the same team that we saw in, in June and even July. Yeah, because, I mean, you take a look at it. Uh, I mean, the promotions, Colt Keith, the most notable one that was uh, with this Seawolves team. But I think the interesting thing that has developed out of this second half is kind of the offense by committee. You've seen guys step up each game, you know, whether it be a Justice Bigby, Chris Myers. And I don't know if there's a player with a hotter bat right now than Luis Santana and the way he's played in the last two weeks. And that's, I don't think, and this is maybe an outsider opinion, like, we got to fill the stadium. I mean, you're, you're seeing these kids play some of the best ball, working every inning to try and, and to make that that jump up. And I mean, UPMC Park is beautiful. So yeah. if you haven't been out yet this year, you know, fall's coming, winter's coming, whether we like it or not. Get out there and, and fill some seats. Before we go to a break, John, you just got back from Otter's training camp this morning, yeah. right? So how how are they looking? How's the chatter around the Otter's? They were playing fast. They were. It was a very physical opening scrimmage, um, and I think the exciting thing is you've got a lot of high-end talent. I mean, we're talking about Martin Meziak that just came off a uh, – he's the import pick, the number one overall pick from the import draft. He's coming off a championship with the Youngstown Phantoms of the USHL. You've got, of course, Matthew Schaefer, who's being compared to many as one of the best defensemen to come through in recent history. Jamie yeah. Drysdale is the name that, that keeps being associated, his skating ability. I think this team's going to be fast, and we talked to Coach Stan Butler. The biggest issue last year, net minding. He yeah. said he's challenged his goaltenders. They can't have save percentages in the eighth. they got to start with nine, and he said that's going to be the biggest area of focus. But I thought a lot of intensity, a lot of physicality for the opening portion of camp. Good, good. Love to hear it. Man, I could do this all day, but we got to take a break. Uh, we'll be right back after this with Campus Corner. Eateryites, welcome back to Flagship City Sports Talk, presented by Quickville. 
Up next is a segment we like to call Campus Corner. I convinced John and Bob to stick around for one more segment as we get into the hallowed grounds of our local universities where athletes become legends and victories are etched into the history books. Now, Bob, I'm going to start your direction. You're no stranger to Erie County sports with over 40 years of athletic experience. I've heard you described as the guy for Erie County College sports. So I knew I needed you here for Campus Corner. No offense, John. <laughs> you may want to get a new cast of friends if you're talking to, to someone that's describing me that way. But no, thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> so as we, as we gear up for the start of the college football season, what's the prevailing atmosphere within the PSAC? How's it looking? Well, I, th- I think, you know, taking a look at the West, obviously you've got to look at IUP, Slippery Rock. You know, the preseason poll came out, and it, I-, I think you could write that down, you know, five years from now, the same thing. It's IUP 1, Slippery Rock 2, Cal 3, and Gannon 4. And I, I think just the fact that Gannon has made that climb into 4 year ago, Gannon was was four as well and surprised everybody, finished at six and one in the conference, beat IUP, you know, tied for first place with IUP and Slippery Rock. So, you know, again, you look at the, the, the monsters in the conference, as I call them, and IUP, Slippery Rock, Cal. Cal has taken a little bit of a dip the last few years. Uh, and then you, you look at the East, and I'm very curious to see what happens with Shepard because that was just an outstanding team. Uh, you know, their their quarterback, Tyson Badgent, is they're not talking about him being the second, you know, stringer with the Chicago Bears. That's how good he was. And, and you know, we had an opportunity to see him two years ago. Uh, the, the weapons around him. So, you know, they've had a lot of losses. But again, they were picked to finish first. Um yeah, I know uh, Kutztown, who's had a, a great program for about the last 10 years, is second. Westchester, uh, you know, I think a year ago we played Westchester third week of the season. And uh, it's always a physical team, uh, a team with great tradition. And I think there's one to kind of watch because we saw what they could do. You know, we talked to McDowell earlier, uh, great first half, not so good second half. Well, that was Gannon's game with Westchester last year. Uh, they came back and beat us that third week of the season. No, absolutely. And John, you, your boots on the ground as well. How has how does the PSAC football scene compare this year uh, in terms of previous years competitively? Well, I think it's going to be interesting. I think, you know, when you take a look at the West and, and, and as Bob mentioned, the interesting thing is, you know, I took a look at last year's all conference players. And if you look at the first and second team, mainly the first team, there's not a ton of returners. Gannon actually has, I think, what, Two or three yeah, first we, team. We have a few. And I you know, I was thinking this morning, and this hadn't really hit me till this morning. You had four great quarterbacks in the West last year, uh, including Cordy Curtis from Gannon, who was the first team all PSAC West quarterback. All four are gone. Now the the thing that when you look at IUP was able to go out and get a grad transfer from Colorado Mesa, who threw thirty three touchdown passes last year. So you have to, you know, obviously that's one of the reasons that they were picked to finish first. But I think what happens in in that position, because the quarterback position is just so important at yeah. this level. So, it, you know, it really all starts there. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. Like I said, all four teams lost great quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's. I mean, yeah, you hear it all the time. The quarterback is the most important position in sport, any sport. right? Not, yeah. But in college. It seems like to me anyway, more than any other sport, 
that that is the one thing that can really change a team from year to year. Not that they're the only one playing, not that they're the only one making a difference, but that change at quarterback can change offensive philosophy. It can change chemistry. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised to see that as well. Yeah, I look, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough down through the years to work with Trevor Harris, Cody Harris, uh, Jake Sisson. Jake Sisson was a kid at Edinburgh that came in, and I don't know how highly regarded he was, but you look at Jake, he wasn't your typical quarterback. I used to kid him that he looked more like a linebacker, <laughs> but I tell you what, the kid was a leader, and he, he threw a great ball, and his freshman year, you would have never thought that he was going to turn out to be the player that he was. and But again, you know, you look at that, that, that quarterback kind of is the the engine yeah. of the, the vehicle. And uh, you can have great running games and everything, but I think in this day and age, the game is set up to throw the ball. And those teams that can, can throw it effectively are the ones that are really winning the ball games. Yeah, yeah. So new QB at the helm. What are Gannon's expectations within the Peace Act this year? I think our expectations are very high. You know, John was out. He's seen a couple practices. Uh, I've been out and watched some practices talking to the coaches. We have a lot of talent back. Offensively, there's um, eight uh, starters back. The offensive line basically returns intact. We did lose uh, uh, one starter, but, uh, you know, it's a group that has close to 100 starts together. Wide receivers, quite honestly, were loaded. If they can stay healthy, uh, last year, Kijan Batiste went from catching four passes to 64 balls, you know, 957 yards, a first-team all-conference player. And we've got four or five other wideouts. Mm. You know, Donnell Tank Mason was the freshman of the year in the conference offensively. So, And then I think everybody looks and says, well, you know, you lost Melvin Blanks. Melvin was a great running back, but Antonio Wright, he's a different type of running back. And I think what concerns me is, is he the type of player that week in and week out can carry the ball 20 times? I'm not sure he is, but if he only carries a 10 to 15, he's going to break one. And there's a couple kids that came in, Division One transfers, that uh, you know are going to step in. So I, th- I think we're going to have like a three-headed monster there. Defensively, um, you know, six starters returned. The, the biggest thing is the front line. Uh, we had three all-conference performers in a 3-3 defense. Yeah. So we've got to replace that. But I know they're really excited. They work very hard to, to kind of replenish that group. And uh, back in the secondary, I tell you, if you if there's a defensive player that's worth watching, uh, you know, Chris Farnsworth, he's all of about 185 pounds, but he is everywhere on the field. Uh, in my book, he was every bit the defensive player of the year last year in the in the West with the plays he made. So. Curious to see, you know, can Chris even take it to a higher level? Because he, you know, he led the team with 91 tackles, four interceptions. And, uh, you know, I I think the secondary is very strong, which, again, when you're talking about a conference that likes to throw the ball a lot, everybody says you can never have enough defensive backs. And I (laughs) I think that's the strength defensively. Yeah. And it's you don't see that in college football a lot, but Division two football, I should say. But, yeah, the PSAC is 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 willing, willing to chuck it. John, when we kind of talked about this earlier, but how crucial with games starting this weekend, how crucial is that first game in setting the tone for the rest of the season? Well, I think you take a look at it is it means you want to see how 
formulaic it, it is that you yeah. come out that you put in all that work you put in all these plays did the guys understand it or were they kind of faking it to make it through camp you know <laughs> you know and i'm they not do that a, in the classrooms yeah, too it's know. okay <laughs> but but does it is it rhythmic i think that's the biggest thing was can you find that rhythm early on because yeah. if you're trying to work through things i mean no matter what level of football if you look at the nfl college football or that if you can't get that rhythm down and you know find the the plays the way you want to set them up it's going to be a long season because if you're still working through that in midseason and you got to remember as the season goes on you get less and less practice time because these guys are banged up yeah you know you can't do as much you've got to temper down some of the practices so you want if you come out and have that that big first week that means that you have things on the right path and you can t- continue to add on as the weeks go by no for sure real quick before we take another break west virginia going into beaver stadium against penn state throw it to both of you do they got a shot can they pull the upset at beaver stadium i don't know i think penn state's probably the arguably the toughest division in all of football this year yeah from everything i've read about penn state this might be their best team since those mid-90s even when we were you know lavar errington yes and yeah, yeah. so yeah. and from i believe what west virginia picked like 13th or whatever yeah so <laughs> but again it's a rivalry game it's going to be a crazy place yeah i heard one analyst say it's not if they lose it's if they lose by 50 or 75 so so we'll see <laughs> guys thank you so much for joining me in studio today on our first episode of flagship city sports talk this has been a lot of fun and <laughs> i got to hear for more than you uh, committed so i appreciate you guys so much hey Vic, thank you so much for having us on it was a pleasure yeah really enjoyed it erie hold it right there because when we get back we're going to hit the rust belt rundown with Jarrett bailey you're listening to flagship city sports talk brought to you by cookville Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Flagship City Sports Talk. Up next is a segment that gives you the inside scoop on three iconic cities. Get ready for a journey through Pittsburgh, Buffalo, and Cleveland sports scene, a segment we like to call the Rust Belt Rundown. Joining us for our first segment is a guy I've grown, I've seen grow the ranks since his freshman year of college, Erie. Please welcome, from the USA Today and behind the steel curtain, my good friend, Jarrett Bailey. Jarrett, how's it going, my friend? It is, it's certainly going. Um, gearing up for a long fall and winter ahead. And it's kind of like the last week of, if you want to call it, downtime until things get super-duper busy for me. So trying to soak it all in and uh, looking forward to, uh, to next Thursday when we kick this entire thing off. Yeah, downtime, right? We used to have that fourth preseason game, and now I feel like it's just right. cut days and get ready. That's what it is right now. You've been doing some camp trips and stuff like that. Before we dive into looking at Pittsburgh, Buffalo, and Cleveland, how was camp Steelers camp was good um I got the the new gig covering uh the Steelers so I had to you know put the uh the aforementioned or aforeplanned Bills trips and Washington trips on hold just because it was you know a, a gig that I wanted to focus all my energy into but uh Steelers camp was a lot of fun um I, I think that seeing the offense in person you could definitely see the poise that Kenny Pickett has and it's a night and day difference from last year I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he went into the offseason knowing that this is his offense that he was the guy there wasn't any sort of quarterback controversy in Pittsburgh and the offense I think it showed up in the preseason the way that Steelers fans couldn't have even dreamed about in terms of how the <laughs> starters played you know uh, five drives five touchdowns for the starters and and that was what that's how they looked in camp I mean the, the receivers look good the chemistry's there with guys like Deontay Johnson 
Johnson, George Pickens. Now, quietly, they are a very stacked offense in terms of, you know, all the mouths that they can feed. The offensive line looks better, especially on the left side. So everything that, you know, you saw reported from camp, I mean, it really it showed up on the field uh, throughout August, and that's, that's promising to see. Yeah, I think Allen Robinson in the slot is going to be huge for them, too. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad you started in Pittsburgh. Not a homer pick at all on my part, I swear. But... <laughs> If there was a preseason Super Bowl, the Steelers would have won, and Kenny Pickett would obviously be the MVP. So let me ask you, do you buy the hype? I do. Um, I don't even know if we can call it hype, because outside of Pittsburgh, like it just now recently feels like people are starting to pay attention. Um, and it's crazy, too, because you look at different sports books and whatnot, and you look at the odds in terms of you know what team's going to win this division. In the AFC North, people have been the odds have been against the Steelers all offseason in terms of them being the longest odds to, to win the AFC North. Uh, and people projecting them to finish below the Browns and uh, finish last in the AFC North, which is crazy because we haven't seen them finish last in the AFC North slash Central since, I think, 1988 was the last time they finished dead last in, the, in a division. So, I don't know. It, it feels like we do this this uh, Tom and Jerry game every year <laughs> with the Steelers where, like, the, the media will, you know, put them down in the offseason – and then all they do is stay competitive, stay relevant, and win games. And then we'll repeat the cycle in the offseason. We're like, oh, I think the Steelers could take a step back. And then they'll go out and they'll do what they've done the past two decades, which is you know finish at least 500 or better. So it's nothing new with Pittsburgh where they're used to kind of being the, the offseason underdogs. And then they'll just come out, play well, and uh, surprise everybody. So uh, everything that I've seen says that they can be a playoff team. You know, they were within a half game of getting there last year after a two and six start. So yeah. in terms of, you know, the hype that Steelers fans are giving them, I absolutely buy into it. Um, I've yeah. been writing a lot in terms of like my, if you want to call them off season hot takes or whatever, but <laughs> my, I think, I think my hottest one is that the Steelers will win the North and yeah. uh, I've been sticking, I've been sticking by that and I don't see a reason to, to, to bail on it yet. No, the pathway will be there, especially with guys like Burrow injured. Let's say that, let's say they don't, I know it's preseason. It's way too early to talk about this, but let's say they don't, they finish at 500 or sub 500 is Tomlin on the hot seat. I don't think so. Um, we've seen in years past, or coaches past, where like Bill Cowher had a couple down years where they would go six and ten, seven and nine. The Steelers are just patient, maybe to a fault sometimes, and maybe that changes with Omar Khan being uh, at the helm and not Kevin Colbert anymore in terms of uh, who their GM is. But I don't think that he would be on the hot seat. Now there's going to be a vocal part of the the fan base that's going to want him out the same way that there is every season, and that'll be louder if they go, you know, if they repeat with like a nine and eight record or God forbid, like an eight and nine, seven and ten season. Right. Right. But with his resume, if they were to let him go, there would be 28 other teams that would immediately call him and give him whatever he wanted. So yeah. if they disappoint this year, like obviously, yes, that would be hard for fans to handle. Do I think Tomlin would be gone or on the hot seat? Hot seat going into 2024, maybe. Like if they were mm, to repeat like another yep. down season, then perhaps. But I think that no matter what happens this year, he's definitely going to be back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's got a little bit of a uh Longer leash there. All right, let's jump up to uh, Western New York here for a second. Last year, the Bills were penciled in as the Super Bowl winner. This year, it's more of a whisper. Hey, what's going on in Buffalo, and do you think they have a chance to make a run again this year? 
I think that Buffalo being an underdog is better suits them because yeah, we, I agree. You, know, you said it. They went into last season. Everybody and their mother was saying this is the year that they should get at least get to the Super Bowl because everybody was saying, all right, Tyreek Hill is no longer in Kansas City. They don't really have a go-to receiver. That deep passing game might take a step back. Yep. It might be a transition year for the Chiefs in terms of they'd still be good. They got Mahomes and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, sure, and their offensive line still good. But in terms of weaponry, it seemed that the Bills were better on paper and the Bills beat them in Kansas City during the season and everything looked great. Yep. But once we got to like the second half of the season, you know, they had to go to Detroit to play a home game because of the weather. They got stuck uh, coming home uh, during a Christmas Eve travel after a game and that pushed some stuff back. Von Miller gets injured. They didn't have Tredavious White until Thanksgiving. Obviously, the DeMar Hamlin incident. Like Buffalo went through a lot last year and it, they yeah. went through a lot in a like very short amount of time where it was very much in the back half of the season where most of that stuff happened yep and i think it was just a lot to handle all at one time and eventually just became a straw that broke the camel's back situation and then you get into the playoffs against a really hot cincinnati team they don't have a pass rush because von miller's not there yep and it was violently evident that without von miller (laughs) they don't have a pass rush at all going up again you know Bengals back back up offensive linemen and they just couldn't get to joe burrow so yeah I think, you know, they brought in Leonard Floyd to play opposite of Von Miller. We don't know when Von Miller's going to be back. I know he's trying to – he's going on shows saying he wants to be back by week one. I wouldn't bank on that happening. Yeah. Um, but once he comes back with Leonard Floyd, they have depth in terms of their pass rush, but they don't really have a go-to guy outside no, of Miller. Right. So yep. we'll see how they, you know, attack this year. But in terms of how I project them to finish, I still think they'll be one of the Super Bowl contenders. And I think yeah. they, they'll thrive in terms of being, you know, kind of whispered about, like you said. Yep. I worry about, you know, the Dolphins and the and the Jets loaded up this offseason too, division rivals, but we'll see how it goes. Hey, let's jump to Cleveland real quick. See you next year. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so some people say, not me, that the Browns show a ton of promise coming into the season. Deshaun Watson gets a full season. Nick Chubb looks ready to run over the league, and the defense has very few holes. What's critical for Cleveland to be successful this year? I mean, it's a cop-out answer, but it depends on the quarterback. Yeah. The rest of their roster is built to win now. They have one of the best edge rushers in the game, Miles Garrett. They've got a really good core of off-ball linebackers led by Jeremiah Usukoromoa. They've got guys on that side of the ball, and then offensively, a really good offensive line, a top-five running back, and Nick Chubb. They bring in Elijah Moore to compliment Amari Cooper. David Njoku's a solid tight end. Like everything on that roster is built to win now. It's just a matter of are we going to see the Deshaun Watson of, you know, 2019, 2020, or is it just going to be more of the same? And if that's the case, it's not going to be Deshaun Watson who they get rid of. It's going to be Kevin Stefanski because right. <laughs> Kevin Stefanski doesn't have a $230 million guaranteed contract. <laughs> guaranteed. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So, absolutely. And I think it could be a situation where Stefanski is a good offensive mind, a good head coach. I think at his best, Sean Watson is a good quarterback. I think the thing is that they just don't gel in terms of what Stefanski wants to do offensively and what Deshaun Watson is capable of. Yeah. And sometimes that happens. Now, will we see improvement this year? It's certainly possible. Yep. And for the reasons you pointed out, you know, Deshaun Watson has a full off season where yes, you know, there's still people talking about the things that went on in Houston and whatnot, but with an entire year with the team and an entire off season, can that translate onto the field? It's certainly possible. Am I banking on that? No, because everybody's talking about the AFC North as potential. It's kind of like the way they talked about the AFC West last year. It's like, oh my goodness, we could have, you know, four teams finish above 500. Right. You know, we know how that went. Two of them stunk. And if there's going to be, in all likelihood, there's going to be a team that disappoints in the AFC North. And if I have to pick one, 
I'm going to pick the team that's consistently disappointed for the last 20 years and Cleveland. So, um, can, can, he said it, Erie. I, I didn't, I didn't prep him for that. Those were his words, not <laughs> mine. Uh, I don't disagree with you. I, you know, I actually, I look more, I actually think that it's, I think it's the Ravens, but that's a conversation for another day. Well, listen, man, that's all we have time for today, but I know we're going to have you back on in the future. What are you working on next and where can we find you? Oh, uh, you can check out my stuff on USA Today and behind the steel curtain uh, for all the Steelers stuff in terms of uh, behind the steel curtain. USA Today just did an interview with Michael Vick. That's up. Go read and watch that. Um, just released my 2023 all preseason team. Oh, good. speaking of, there's a lot of Cleveland Browns on the all preseason team. So go, <laughs> go and read that. Um, I will. Then uh, in terms of uh, regular season stuff, I'll be doing power rankings for USA Today every Tuesday. Winners and losers, I think, is every Tuesday as well. And cool. then um, for behind the steel curtain, quarterback rankings every Tuesday. So Tuesdays will be Love busy it. for me. Yes. And um, yeah, <laughs> the coming season. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for taking the time and coming and hanging out with us. Absolutely, guys. Cheers. And now before we go, I want to take some time to gear up for the week ahead and let's look at what's on the horizon in Erie County sports. All right. So here's what I'm looking forward to the most this week. First, like we talked about earlier, Paul Skeens, the number one overall pick from the 2023 MLB draft and top Pittsburgh Pirates prospect is expected to make his start against the Seawolves on Friday at UPMC Park. I will not miss that one. If you do, Curver in town all week always makes her a great game. So get up, get out to UPMC Park and catch these young stars, make a case for the call up. Like we talked about, too, the Otters kicked off training camp this week and have one more scrimmage open to the public. That's Tuesday, August 29th, 3 p.m., 5 p.m. Open to the public. No tickets needed. Just go through the main south doors and sit anywhere in the south concourse. We also covered college football well. Week one starts this weekend. We got Gannon at Charleston, Mercyhurst at Ferris State, and Edinburgh at Duquesne. Everything's away, but make sure you follow along and check out those games. District 10 football as well. We got games everywhere. You have no excuse to miss some sports this weekend. Well, Erie, that's a wrap. The final whistle is blown on our very first episode of Flagship City Sports Talk, and what a kickoff it's been. I look forward to doing this every week. Thanks for sticking with us, even when I have to give the Cleveland Browns credit without stuttering. Big thanks to our guests, John Lydic, Bob Shreve, and Jared Bailey, as well as Joel Natale from Talk Erie's Joel Natale Show for believing in us, and Rich Smith for making sure I don't go full Italian and talk for the next 24 hours. Lastly, Erie, thank you for supporting us on our maiden voyage, and I look forward to living the highs and lows together as we dive into all things sports right here in our own backyard. As we wrap up our debut episode, remember in the world of sports, anything can happen. The underdogs can rise, the mighty can stumble, and I can continue mispronouncing athlete names like a true pro. But hey, that's what makes sports so unpredictable and utterly captivating. So stick with us because Flagship City Sports Talk will be right here bringing you all the action, all the humor, and all the madness that defines the world of sports. Until next time, folks, keep cheering, keep laughing, and keep those foam fingers handy. This is Nick Artman signing off from the first episode of Flagship City Sports Talk, presented by Quickville. Have fun, Erie.